see that. We got it going now. You're good. What what did what did I miss? Uh, the slide here was all the way up on hold, and it needs to be in the center. Okay. And then it just got it. Thank you. Okay, now I have to be careful what I say. I'm on record now. So, so anyhow, that's what we want to do. And we are going to cover this section of Scripture from Genesis 1-1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, and Revelation 22, even so, Lord Jesus, come quickly. Okay, so that's what we're going to be looking at from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22. And what I want you to see is that the, the gospel, we talk a lot about the gospel, it is a story, it's a drama. You know, it's telling you what God has been saying and doing. So even the Apostles' Creed is really the story of God creating and Jesus coming and dying and being buried and raised again. And so we're going to be emphasizing that throughout, and I hope you'll see why that matters. And so uh, we want to look at the storyline. The storyline is kind of the plot, the movement. Where is this going? What is God communicating to us in the Scripture? And so I do want to read uh, uh, a section in 2 Peter chapter 1 that kind of lays the foundation of why we're placing such emphasis on God's Word. Why the storyline of the Bible? Why do we need the Bible? In 2 Peter uh, chapter 1, we read in verse 3, His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these he has given us his great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desire. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, to goodness knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness, to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they'll keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But if anyone does not have them... He is nearsighted and blind and has forgotten that he's been cleansed from his past sin. So what he's saying there is, if you're going to live a happy, productive life, this has to be part of it. Now the question is, so what resources can we use to get there? He's going to go on to explain it. Therefore, my brothers, be all the more eager to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things... Not just know these things. If you do these things, uh, you will never fall, and you'll receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So I will always remind you of these things, even though you know them and are firmly established in the truth you now have. I think it is right to refresh your memory as long as I'm in this tent of the body, because I know I'll soon put, put, uh, put it aside as our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. And I'll make every effort to see that after my departure, you will be able to remember these things. Now, what does he want them to remember? Watch this. We did not follow cleverly 
invented stories when, you told, when we told you about the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's something that actually happened. Okay? It's not just a story. It's not a parable. That's what actually happened. He said, I don't want you to forget that. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received honor and glory from God the Father when his voice came to him from the majesty, the majestic glory, saying, This is my Son whom I love. With him I'm well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain. That's going about the transfiguration. Now watch what he says. And we have the word of the prophets made more certain. Word of the prophets is Old Testament. But now with Christ coming, we have it more certain, and you'll do well to pay attention to it. That's what we're going to be focusing on, paying attention to it. Why did the apostles, why did uh, Moses, Elijah, all the rest, why did they leave us these things? And it says you'll do well to pay attention to it as a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your heart. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of the Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation. Okay, all of these things, it's not something that came out of somebody's head. It's not some creative story. But what does he say? Prophets had, uh, for prophecy never had its origin in the will of men, but men spoke from God as they're born along by the Holy Spirit. So we have something unique here. And I can tell you this, in fact, I, I was showing this to, uh, uh, to Tim, I think it was, not long ago. This is uh, my daily Bible reading thing. And I've been doing this for 50 years. And actually on this one I have 219, 220, 221, 222, oh, can't get it out, 223, 2023. And, and, and what it's enabled me to do through those years as I'm reading through the Old Testament at least once, the New Testament at least twice, every year, plus all the other things I do, and it has a way, if you've gone through something 60, 70, 80, 100 times, some of it begins to sink in. Most of us are slow learners, you know. We can't read it one time and absorb it all, and I can tell you this, I, I've said this different times, if you took the Bible out of my life, I'm really not sure what I would look like anymore. Because in God saved me as a young boy. It has so shaped me. And, and I can't think of anything I'd rather do than what we're doing today. You know, and just look at God's word and say, okay, what, what's God saying to us? What are we going to do about it? So let's bow together in prayer, commit our time to the Lord, and ask God to uh, bless our, our time today and the weeks ahead. Father, we praise you and we bless you that you've not left us in the dark to figure out things in our own reasoning. But you've spoken to us. You've acted in dramatic ways, and you've recorded for us those for us. You've explained what they mean, and you've given us direction and how to apply them to our hearts. So I pray, Father, that our time together today will set the, the stage, will set a foundation so we can appreciate this. And Lord, I just ask you'll direct us now in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Okay, you actually have, I, I want to, uh, you have on your seat, there, there, I, I didn't know how many copies to make, and we're actually not going to make copies from this day forward. We're going to put this on the, uh, the church uh, website or the, the Facebook or something. I'll figure out how to do that by next Sunday. Uh, Susan already explained it, but I'm a slow learner, so she's going to have to sit down and help me walk through that. But today, much of what we're going to cover here, you're going to see in the sheet, okay? And, and so you, you may want to refer to that. But I want to suggest one resource that really, really is helpful. It's called Kingdoms Through Covenant. Uh, it's a book by uh, 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 Peter Gentry and Steve Wellam, uh, and it's one of the excellent things. It just walks you through the storyline, and it actually sees the covenant, the covenant with Adam, the covenant with Noah, the covenant with Abraham, the covenant with Moses, covenant with David, covenant with Jesus Christ. That kind of becomes the backbone. Now, it's about, what, a six, 700-page book, so you won't read it quickly, uh, but it is a great resource, and I I've gathered much from that, and much that you hear is going to be a reflection of that. So uh, here's our class schedule. Uh, here's what we're going to through. You'll see that on the sheets, and it actually gives dates I didn't put up there. We're going to first look at why would God create this world. And then we're going to talk about the king and queen of creation, Adam and Eve, their rise and fall. You can't understand what God's doing if you don't get that. Then we're going to look at the plot thickens, the aftermath of the flood, what happened, the Tower of Babel, and all that went on. And when you come to Genesis chapter 11, that may be the darkest section in all of the scripture. And then we're going to talk about Father Abraham and the channel of blessing. Genesis 12 through 15, you missed that, you don't know what the Bible's about. In fact, anybody can quote Matthew 1.1? First verse in the New Testament, what is it? The genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. You've got Abraham, David, Jesus Christ. Those are the three pillars. We've got to understand that. So we're going to look at Father Abraham. And then Moses, the river baby. We're going to call it alien nation. You'll understand what that means, I hope, when we go through it. Then we're going to look at the promised seed, David's greater son, Second uh, uh, Chronicles 7. Uh, David wants to build him a house, and God says, you're not going to build me a house. I'm not homeless. I'm going to build you a household. Uh, we're going to be looking at that. The great divorce, the hope grows dim. You go through the Old Testament, man, the Israelites are a miserable bunch of folks. And God finally divorces them, sends them off into exile, and it looks like hope is gone, but no, it's not gone. God shows up. And the Messiah arrives. We're here at New Testament. And then uh, a new covenant. The Spirit arrives. Uh, Acts chapter 2, the, the pouring out of the Spirit of God at Pentecost. And then the final curtain, heaven and earth. We are talking about that beforehand. And we had the question of whether we're going to have pets in heaven or not. And uh, so you have to wait to that lesson for us to find out. Okay? Well, let me give you a description of the course, of what we're trying to do in this class. What we want to do is we want to follow the drama, okay? When I say drama, you know, we often say, well, we don't need this drama in our household today, okay? Drama is really saying and doing. It's different than just doing something or saying something. It comes together. And I want you to understand primarily what God was doing was not writing a book, <coughs> 
Primarily what God is doing is he is staging a redemptive drama where he's going to glorify and magnify himself. And we have that drama recorded for us in the pages of Scripture. So Scripture, in a sense, is secondary to the drama. It's explaining what God has been doing and what God has been saying. So we're going to follow that from creation and then to the fall of Adam and Eve and then to the promise made to Abraham and then to the redemption that comes in Jesus Christ, the pouring out of the Spirit of God, and that's where we find ourselves in the storyline. We're in Act 4 of all of this, and we're waiting the return of Jesus Christ in power and great glory. So what I want to help you see is how God, who is the playwright, he wrote this, you know, he is the director, he is the producer, he's the star player. He sends his son to come into this. And, now, and, and it's hard to grasp all of this, and that's why we want to take time to help you see that he's doing all of this so that he can bring glory to himself by staging and showing his love and his mercy and his grace and his wisdom. And he's going to do that through Jesus Christ. Christ is at the center of this. It's not Moses, it's not Elijah, it's not Peter, it's not John, it's Jesus Christ. All of those others are simply instruments that God uses in order to shape this so that we might see Jesus Christ. And you remember on the road to Emmaus when Jesus was walking along and there are these disciples and he said, what are you all talking about? And I said, are you the only one in Jerusalem that doesn't know what's going on? And uh, about this Jesus of Nazareth, we thought he was the one, now he's killed and now they said he's been raised from the dead. All this confusion. What does he do? He opens up the Old Testament scripture and shows how they all pointed to him. Now, for us to do that, saying, okay, look at me. I want you to look at me, you know, right here. It would be so arrogant. We'd say, get over yourself. Not so with Jesus Christ. And I want you to see, as we walk through this, it really is about God's Son and how God's Son has come to fix, to heal, to restore a broken world. And, man, we broke it so bad that we can't fix it. Uh, my wife has some things that she's collected through the years, and one day I knocked one of those things off, and I thought, I'll get the glue, I'll glue it back together, she'll never notice. <laughs> Have you ever tried to glue 15 pieces of china together and make it so you can't see it? Well, I tell you, what God did is so much more. Humpty Dumpty sat on the wall, all the king's horses, all the king's men, couldn't put Humpty Dumpty together again. It's worse. But that's what God is doing in all of this. And I hope that your heart is going to be thrilled with the sense of, of what God has been doing and how it showcases Jesus Christ. And so I want you to note the statement. The Bible is not primarily a book of religious fiction. It's not for moral instruction. I'm not saying it's not there. It, that's not its primary purpose. It's not a historical chronicle just to tell us what happened to Egypt and Babylonian Assyria and so forth. Uh, it's not a conceptual philosophy. You know, it's not given to us so that we can figure out all of these philosophical questions. 
but it's a drama of redemption. Okay, do you get that? That is not my phrase, that's a common phrase. The drama, that is God's redeeming work that's going to be played out on this stage of human uh, 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 history and in uh, uh, the actual world that he created. So the Bible becomes God's authorized account of what he has said and done to restore a broken world. Okay, This we can trust as being an accurate account of what really was said and what was done. And that's where inspiration and authority of Scripture comes in. That's why we're confident in this. And so Scripture records how God has directed human history, Okay, what happened, and then he's going to explain what it means. Now that's a really important part. Christ died. And he was buried and he was raised. But that's not all the scripture says. It says, now, this is what it means. It means now there can be forgiveness of sin. Your sin has taken away. So we not only need to know what happened, we need to know what it means that that happened and how it impacts us. And so scripture records how God has directed history, explains what it means, and finally shows how it's going to advance the mission of God to bring glory to himself. In the end of all of this, God is the one that is going to be glorified. So here's my conviction, and this has been developing for the last 10 or 12 years especially. Understanding the flow of redemptive history, understanding the timeline, is designed not to make you smarter Christians. You know, not so that you're going to, you know, win a, uh, a game of, of Bible trivia. Uh, we had, when our kids were little, we had this game of Bible trivia. And they wouldn't play with me often with that. Uh, but when we played, I had to do the adult section, and they got to do the kids section, you know. And uh, uh, this is not about that, about how much you know. It's not designed to make you a smarter Christian. We're not talking about academic achievement but make you a faithful follower of Jesus Christ. That's what this is all about. My hope is this will help you to be a more faithful follower of Jesus Christ, fully devoted to his kingdom. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. All these other things will be added to you. And so through this class, my hope is that you'll be better equipped to play the role that God sovereignly assigned to you. Guess what? You didn't volunteer. You didn't choose him. He chose you. And he designed, in spite of all the confusion that we have today with all the gender dysphoria and everything else, God made you a man or a woman. You know, when I was in school, it was easy. You check off boy or girl. You went to the boys' bathroom or the girls' bathroom. You went to the boys' locker room or girls. All of that is confused today. The reality is God assigned you your role. And it's a covenant responsibility that you have to play, not just a man or a woman, but a mother, a father, a worker, a servant, whatever the role is, he's played to you. And guess what? Is it Roger Hebert, or what's his name that, that's a critic of, of all of the uh, movies and so forth? He has nothing in comparison. What is it? Who is it? Yes. Okay, those guys critique that and say what's good and what's bad, and you may give them thumbs up or thumbs down. But guess who the greatest critic of the drama is? It's going to be God himself at the great white throne judgment. Mm 
And you know what? Your performance, you know, in carrying out the role that God assigned to you, it's going to be measured. Oops. I knew I tripped that up. I'm going to plug that back in. It's going to be measured, and you're going to give an account for that. So we want to do the best job that we can. So we want you to know how to play the role that God has assigned to you at just this time and in just this place in the drama of redemption. God didn't put you in Rome. You know, he didn't put you in China. You know, uh, he didn't put you in the 1840s or the 1730s or the 16, you know, 19 project. Uh, no, he didn't put you in any of those. He put you here and now. And he put us together. And so the question is, how do we live this out? How do we embody the gospel? So let me give you a description. On the back of the sheet that I put out there, there are a series of descriptions of doctrine. This is from one of my favorite writers, Kevin Van Hooser. Uh, and uh, uh, I'm going to try to put all of this online, too, as soon as I can figure that out. But I want to encourage you. We're going to look at two of the statements, just briefly. But I want to encourage you, look at each one of those and try to find one of those that you can say, yeah, I get it. You know, that's what it's all about. Because we're going to be looking at doctrine. Doctrine is teaching. Now, think about this for a minute. When you hear the word doctrine, what's the context you most think of? Do you think of business? Do you think of media? Do you think of tech? Do you think of church? Do you, what do you think of when you hear doctrine? Church. I mean... But let me ask you something. Is TV indoctrinating us with anything? Are schools indoctrinating us? Doctrine is not just something for Christians. Doctrine is the things that shape your life and shape how you live. And there's a lot of bad indoctrination. We want to be indoctrinated by God's word. You know, and not have some foreign ideas slip into our mind. Uh, Hitler uh, believed in the Aryan superiority racially, and millions of people died as a result of that. Ideas have consequences. We need to understand that. So listen, listen to this statement. I picked out two that I especially liked. Doctrine is an aid. When we say doctrine, we're talking about teaching, instruction, direction. Doctrine is an aid to understanding the play the drama of redemption, what God has done and is doing. See, we tend to think hey, it's all over. You know, we're, we're, we're no longer, this play isn't going. It ended when Jesus ascended to heaven. No, it's not. Acts 29 is where we are. You know, there's still another chapter, you know, that, that's flowing from this. And so uh, uh, we need to understand what God has done, is doing, and thus our part. So what does he want me to do? Why does he put me here? You remember, Paul said, I'd rather depart and be with the Lord. That'd be better by far. But it's more needful for you that I remain convinced of this. I know I'll continue with all of you for your progress and the joy, so that through my being with you, your joy in Christ will increase on account of me. Now, that's what all of us ought to be asking. How can I bless other people so they'll grow in grace and in the knowledge of Jesus Christ? He goes on to say, doctrine provides a kind of theatrical direction 
for participating fittingly in what the Father is doing in the Son through the Spirit to renew creation. It's not enough to sit in the pew once a week. It's not enough to sit in a Sunday school class once a week. We have to take up our cross. Remember what Jesus said? Deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. And play the part of the disciple on a daily basis. Now that's not generally the kind of uh, explanation you get of doctrine. Uh, here's, here's a second one. Doctrine is for the head, heart, and hand. What you know, what you feel, what you do. The gospel of Jesus Christ is not primarily a textbook of right belief. Now again, it's not that it doesn't contain right belief, but it's not primarily a textbook. So that you're studying the Bible. We're going to look at that in a minute. But it's a drama in displaying God's self-giving love for the world captures our mind and enraptures our heart. That really is my desire. I don't want to drive you just through discipline to do something. I want you to love this so much you can't do anything else. That's what God is after, so that it captures our minds, our hearts. Hence, doctrine is not simply information that we need to know to go to heaven, but direction. I put that in red so you don't miss that. It's direction for right feeling and behavior now to the glory of God. So, let me walk through this. We're going to do this uh, uh, quickly. Uh, uh, we need to get the big picture. Behind it all is God. Okay? We, start to, we don't start with people. We don't start with the world. We start with God. And we, not long ago, did this series on, on the Trinitarian view of God. God the Father, God the Spirit, God the Son, and this communicative fellowship. That is foundational for Scripture. You know, behind it is God. And then there is creation. God creates this world. It becomes a stage on which he's going to produce and direct the drama of redemption. Okay, there was nothing there. He spoke a word. Why did he create this world? We're going to be looking at that in our first session next time. He did that in order he created time and place so that he would be able to show and display his love in Jesus Christ. What about man? Well, central to this whole thing, it's not just a world, but he made, after everything else, he made man in his own image. So what does it mean to be an image bearer? You know, we're not like anything else. In fact, we were talking before the uh, 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 C.S. Lewis's space trilogy, uh, Paralandra. There is the best description of, may, of what it be, means to be in the image of God of anything I've ever read. It is absolutely stupendous. Sometime you have to go back and you have to read it. But we're an image bearer. That means that we're like God and we reflect God. But not only that, we're a player and a performer. You know how we kind of use that? Well, so-and-so's a player. Guess what? Everything that God created is a player in his drama. From Satan, the demons, to the angels, to the people, to saved and lost, they're all on stage in this drama. And so you have a, a, a role to perform for the glory of God. And that is a covenantal agency. You didn't just choose that. Everyone, do you realize this? It's not just Christians that have a covenantal relationship with God. 
Every human being has a covenantal relationship to God. Everyone is God's agent. No one is going to say, you know what, I don't think I'll show up the great white throne judgment. I'm, I'm going to decide not to show up. You're not going to get that option. Why? Because you're God's agent. You're either submitting to God, you know, as uh, the, the king, the ruler, the, 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 the one that's over everything, or you're in rebellion. You know, but nobody is outside of that. Everyone is part of that. And so, uh, look at the next word. What are we? We're sapientialists. And you say, ooh, what is that? Well, let me go on. When I was teaching in the early part of this year, I started teaching in uh, Faith uh, uh, Christian Academy, and they booted me because I was too uh, radical. Uh, no, actually, I had to step down because of some of the health issues I went through. And in the logic class, we talked about, okay, what are human beings? What's the technical term for being a human being? What is it? Homo sapien. So we were coming up with a t-shirt, okay? And the t-shirt was going to say this. I'm so much more than just a run-of-the-mill homo sapien. Okay, what does sapien mean? We all know the word. Almost nobody knows what it means. It means to reason. It means to think. We're the only ones that can reason or think. So we're going to make this t-shirt up on the front. It's going to say, I'm so much more than a run-of-the-mill homo sapien. I'm a Christocentric sapientialist. The kids loved it. Eighth graders loved it. And then we put on the bottom wisdom that comes from the crown and the cross of Jesus Christ. Okay, so we are not dull, thick-headed, slow learners. We often kid about that. No, God created us as sapiential beings. We have the ability to understand and to wisely do things, and the scripture is given to us for that purpose. But let's talk about the world. And I wish we had more time to talk about this. The great concern that I have is that none of us can protect ourselves totally from the influence of the world around us. The worldview, or what Charles Taylor calls the social imaginary how you actually see the world, how you interact with the world. And he has a whole bunch of, 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 of terms that help describe that. But the concern that I have is that's coming at you through media, through entertainment, through business, through politics, uh, through education. And all of those things have shaped us into something that we don't realize how far they've won our heart and how they've captured our thinking and how our lives start looking like theirs. And so the purpose of this is to help us be gatekeepers, to shut some of that stuff out and to let some stuff in that's going to be good. And so the world that God created because of sin developed a culture that is sinful and rebellious against God. And that, that whole work of Satan, I mean, we can talk about all kinds of things, the Great Reset, the Woke Movement, the Social Justice Movement, uh, Black Lives Matter, Antifa, we can go down the list, but those are things that are part of our world and they're affecting you. And we need some way to push against that indoctrination, and that's where God's word comes in. You know, God is saying things and doing things. Okay, I want to emphasize that. We tend to say, oh, yes, I know that. But I want you to stop and think, 
God is a speaker. He didn't just write the play and he's watching it. He speaks into this, sometimes directly, mostly indirectly through prophets and others that he commissions to deliver his message. But not God not only speaks. Well, let me just pause. Give me two or three instances where God actually spoke. Okay, Moses, Sinai, yeah, we could go through, there's a whole bunch of things, you know, at the baptism of Jesus, this is my beloved son, in whom I'm well pleased. That's what he said on the Mount of Transfiguration, that was Peter talking about. We heard this majestic voice saying, this is my son, listen to him, pay attention to what he has to say. And so... God speaks, but God acts. God does things. He sent a flood. Wiped out everybody except eight people. Wiped out 185,000 Assyrians. He provided manna. You know, you can go through this, you can see all of the things that God is doing. So we want to try to understand what is he doing. Now, when we talk about, I want to put three terms up here. Bible, Scripture, Canon. Now, it's not C-A-N-N-O-N, a big gun, but it is the rule. So I'll be using those words back and forth. Scripture, we're talking about this. Bible, we're talking about this. Canon, we're talking about this. Okay? Everybody on track with us? So the question becomes, how do we construe the Bible? That is, how do we use the Bible? What is God intent for us in giving us the Scripture? It's not just a collection of writings of men, but the Spirit of God directed each man to write exactly that kind of thing. So, we can either look at the Bible or look along the Bible. I want to play a clip for you. This is C.S. Lewis. Oh, you know what? I don't know if we have sound. Compelling reason, 1998. I was standing today in the dark tool shed. The sun was shining outside, and through the crack at the top of the door there came a sunbeam. From where I stood, that beam of light, with the specks of dust floating in it, was the most striking thing in the place. Everything else was almost pitch black. I was seeing the beam, not seeing things by it. Then I moved, so that the beam fell on my eyes. Instantly, the whole previous picture vanished. I saw no tool shed, and above all, no beam. Instead, I saw framed in the irregular cranny at the top of the door, green leaves moving on the branches of a tree outside. And beyond that, 90-odd million miles away, the sun. Okay, we're going to pause there. He did this little thing called meditations in a tool shed. Do you get the picture? It goes into this dark, uh, dark tool shed, and there's a crack, and there's a beam of light. And you can do one of two things. You can look at the beam and see the little specks floating in there. Or you can look along the beam and you see the trees and ultimately the sun. So the challenge is, are we going to just look at the Bible 
and make that an object of study, or are we going to look along the Bible and see where it's pointing and what God calls us to do? So, we're going to do a quick project. I need eight people to volunteer. I need four over here. Who wants to come up here? I want you to come up here for a second. Uh, yes, I, Greg, I see you. Okay. Uh, you and your wife come up here, Allison. Uh, who else? Okay. Uh, do I dare call on Morgan? No, I don't dare call on her. I know somebody. Okay, here comes Ken. Okay, but, and, and then we need four over here. Who wants to volunteer over here? Okay, put you on this. Who else is going to help him? Okay, David? Okay, how about you come over here with this? Now, what I want you to do is I want you to, uh, uh, this will be your project. Kent, this will be your project. Okay? Uh, this will be your project. This will be yours. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to open this up and answer two questions. What is it and what does it do? Okay? So go ahead, open it up, tell us what it is. You, if you have a partner, work on that together. Tell us what it is and what you do with it. This would be a magnifying glass. Okay, wait a minute. Can't talk yet. <laughs> we will get everybody, we want everybody to have a chance to look at it. Can we phone a friend? Uh, no, no. <laughs> Yeah, that's when you need your wife, right? <laughs> okay, so we're, we're going to start over here with uh, uh, Greg and Allison. Is that right, Allison? Okay. okay, what do you have and what do you do with it? Music. Okay, show so everybody can see. Okay, what music is that? I'm the one with the Instrumental music? <laughs> that is the original score from Handel's Messiah. Okay, that's what it is. Now, what was that intended to do? Did he intend to sit down, all of the musicians, and have a two-hour discussion of meter and tempo and all the rest of the things? Is that what that was designed to do? To play it. And when you hear the Handel's Messiah, you say, wow. It wasn't just written to be studied. It was written to be performed. Okay, let's go over to Joe. What do you have? So it's a printout of a, uh, of a prescription for 500 milligrams of a hard-to-pronounce <laughs> medicinal prescription, met metformin or something like that. No clue what it does. Okay, so what is the purpose of a prescription? To study the compounds, the handwriting? No. What? To yeah, relieve you know whatever ailment you have. You got to take it, yeah. right? Okay. Studying it isn't going to help you. See again, I want you to see looking at it, looking along it. Okay. Now you're on. Okay. See if you can tell us what you have. Uh, this is a magnifying glass, and it's used to enlarge images for observation. Okay. So you could look at this thing. You could measure it. You could weigh it. You could decide what the compounds are. But it wasn't really designed for that, right? What's it designed for? To look through it. It's a lens that you look through. It magnifies things. Okay, let's go to Kent. Ah, oh, what do you have? It's like I have a Holy Bible, English Standard Version. Okay, so we could take that Bible and we could weigh it. You know, we could sit down and study it, or we could do it. We could perform it. 
Do you see my point? It, we need to know what's in the Bible. Thank you. You guys can be seated. Thanks for helping us. But what I want you to see is that God has not given us the Bible just to put it on the shelf or the dashboard of our car so people will be impressed that we're spiritual. That's not why God gave us the Bible. He gave us the Bible to give us directions so that we should know what we should believe, how we should feel, how we should act. And if we're not using the Bible to do that, then we're missing its purpose. It's like using the magnifying glass to swat flies. I suppose you could do that, but that's not really what it's designed for. You know, we could sit down, and, and I know at least a couple of medical people in here, probably more, and you could have all kinds of discussion about the prescription, but the purpose of the prescription is not for debate and study. It's to take it so that it's going to benefit you. And I want you to think about this. The Bible is not just something that you do something with. The Bible does something to you. When you begin to read it, when you begin to embody it, it's no longer just looking at this thing, but it's looking through this thing to see everything else. Does that make sense? That, in fact, was Calvin's idea that the scripture is a lens through which we see everything else. There are other lenses out there. Naturalism, evolution, this whole stuff that we're living against, that is the wrong lens to look through. It distorts everything. That's why we need the scripture, so that we're able to see clearly what God's saying and doing. So we know what we ought to be saying and what we ought to be doing. Let me make one other point. The Bible is not just a book. It's really a library. I, I brought this atlas. An atlas has all kinds of maps. I wish we had more time and I knew more about this. But it, it will give you a, a map of the United States. This is about National Park, so it will tell you about that. But if you turn over, you'll discover that there are different kinds of maps in here. Let me see. Let me get to the place. Wait a minute, I think I missed the part I'm looking for. That's too big to, to hold up there. Okay, here's what I wanted to show you. You can find one map that has tectonics, shows you all of that. You have another map that shows you the geology. Same area, but it does something different. You have another one that has climate change. We may not agree with all of that. Uh, you have another one that has the uh, ecoregion, the flora. Okay, It's going to tell you what you're going to find the plant. You know, it's going to tell you about animals. Okay, I simply say that to say... The Bible is not just one thing. You have Psalms that's very different than the Gospels. That's very different than Revelation. You know what we call those different kinds of books? We call them genres. There are different, and you need to know when you read Proverbs, you don't read that the same as you read Deuteronomy. Okay, And so we have to learn how to appreciate what are we looking for here. Why has God given us the Psalms? 
Well, to help us know how to worship, to give us a language that we can use, to show us one man's heart, David particularly, but some others there as well. So I want you to think, anybody know what studying maps is called? There's a technical term for that. Cartographers. So we want to make you canonical cartographers, okay? We want to help you look at the Bible and recognize God is doing all kinds of different things to equip you to live your life for the glory of God. So the Bible is not just one book. It's a whole library. It's like an atlas that different parts are going to point you in different directions. At the heart of this, it's my commitment and my desire to understand and embody the biblical, to embody it. Let me just stop there, okay? That it's not enough just to know about it, but how do you integrate that into your life? We're much better of checking out doctrines that we believe. But even the devils can check off the doctrine they believe in God. But they don't embody that in their life. And that's a challenge for us. How do we embody all of this? We need to understand not only the biblical text, but the contemporary context. The way we live out our faith today is different than, you know, the uh, uh, go back to the Reformation time, go back to the Middle Ages, go back to any other place. It's not enough just to know the Bible. We need to know our current context to know how do we integrate that into our life. And this is a particularly trying time where everything in our culture is antithetical to the things that we believe, and it's moving more strongly. So we need to understand that context to know how to live holy. You know, how to speak out, how to be a witness for Jesus Christ. At the heart of this, and I'm going to finish here quickly, is the Christ event. The storyline plots and configures and consummates. It's not just a chronicle. And, and our, our time is gone, so I'm, I'm, I'm not going to go through the rest of this slide. There's just a couple more things. But the point is this. I want you to recognize that the storyline is all about moving toward the Messiah, Jesus Christ. Everything in the Old Testament is about moving there. Now that he comes, and he goes back to heaven, and he sends his spirit to shape and develop a church that's doing what? Waiting for him to come back in power and in great glory. Now, if you go back and just study the ark to see how many animals you can fit on the ark and how could they have enough room and enough food, enough water, well, I guess water wasn't a problem. But, how, you know, if you're going back to do that, you're missing the point of it. The point is this stuff is pointing forward to Christ. And, in fact, Peter picks up the ark, and it's not about how many animals and how big it was and whether it could sail. It was about eight people were saved. Baptism is a figure like that. And so we see the connections that are made that are different, but they always focus in Jesus Christ. So however you approach Scripture, whether your Bible reading is in Exodus right now, or whether it's in Job, or whether it's in Hosea or Hezekiah, which sometimes it's hard to find Hezekiah in your Bible, but you know, go to Matthew or Hebrew or James, each one of those has something to say to us. So our goal through the series of classes is to try to understand the plot, the storyline, 
and how God puts a Pharaoh on stage in order to glorify himself by crushing him. And how God, how Jesus would say to Peter, you're going to deny me, but I prayed for you. Judas denies him, but Jesus didn't pray for him. He's the son of perdition. How do you sort all those things out? And I want to tell you, you have a life of adventure in absorbing, integrating, and then embodying God's word. And it's not something you can do alone. It's something we need to do together. That's why God put us in families. That's why God put us in a church family. We have to do this together. Well, time is gone. I promise we'll have some time for comments and questions. I'll try to make time for that. Uh, and, uh, uh, because I really want to get your response to this. And again, I appreciate your feedback. If things are helpful or not helpful, clear, unclear, if you let me know that, that helps me shape that for the coming week. So let's bow together in prayer. Father, how we praise you and thank you that you've given us your word. I think of what Paul said to Timothy, that you have known the Holy Scriptures from a child, and it's able to make you wise unto salvation, and that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God, and it's useful for doctrine, correction, instruction. Uh, Lord, I pray that you might raise in our hearts and minds a greater appreciation, a greater respect for, that will give closer attention to your word, that we might listen for the direction that you're giving to us, that we can glorify Christ in our lives in the day in which we live. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.